Welcome back to The Shed, everybody. This is episode 131. There's no debate, question, or concern about whether that's the right number because I studied up before we got into The Shed. Yeah, episode 131. That's all I had, though. That's just the right number. That's it for the intro. So here we go. We're just going to talk a bunch of stuff as usual. Ah, well, how's everybody today? How's every little thing? Mm, uh, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel like none of us are bringing our A game right now. Or I should just speak for myself, shouldn't I? No, you can speak for me too. Thanks. Let's just back up a couple of minutes here, gentlemen. <laughs> sure. Let's just take a little moment. Just take a little moment. And kind of try and have a little go round at restarting here. Yeah, let's do that. I think I heard a couple of you say that you had not brought your A games. Do I know you guys? Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> I brought my A game, and I'm going to club you both senseless with it unless you pick up your socks. If I can survive COVID just to appear here, you guys can just get up out of your seats and make some moves. COVID? You got the COVID? I had it. I had the Rona and don't know exactly where I got it, but I had just the slightest little scratchy little throat, just going like this about every hour. Honestly, it was like that. And then the next day I went for a walk and then I went and did some drywall repairs. Then I went for dinner and at the end of dinner, I was a little chilly and I was going about every hour instead of just, and then... I got home and I took my temperature and it was 38.1 and I referred to the BC Center for Disease Control guidelines that tell you that if your temperature is over 38, you should go get tested. So the next day, I took myself down to the North Vancouver testing station at Lloyd Avenue and finally figured out a way to get somebody to give me a rapid home test, which I brought home and which came out positive and which then led to a series of rather uncomfortable texts. Yeah, sorry about everything, but, you know, you've been exposed. Basically, all I had was I had that modest fever for... The fever was gone within within 24 hours, just no more fever. And then I had a wicked sore throat, and that was it. Hey, speaking of which, I think the, we haven't talked about the more important aspect of the uh, new new variant. What's that? Well, that's how to pronounce it. I think, you know, <laughs> we have the hard-hitting topics here on the, the Shed Dogs, and I think we need to cover this one. So, uh, PJ, what are you going to say? Omicron. Omicron. Oh, no, you got a little... Are you misheard that was me? Kinda, that was kind of cute, that I Omicron. I said Omicron, like what? it's from Japan or something. That's, yeah, Omicron. That's how I pronounce it, Omicron. That's, and KJ? Omicron. Omicron, Okay. All right. Well, let's let's talk about this a little bit. And we got Omega, Cromer, right? And Cromer would call it Omicron. Omicron. Okay. Ooh, throw well, an extra that's... N in there just for fun. <laughs> for sure. And, you know, we got your Omega, right? And Omega is Greek, is it not? Yep. Guys? Okay. And what's the O and Omega stand for? End. The end. The end. Alpha Omega, think. right? No? Yes. Omega stands for the end. Omega does stand for the end, but the O and Omega stands for O. Oh my God. That's right. So O in Greek means O and uh, the letter O. And mega. <laughs> What's what? going on? What yeah. was, he says with great gravity, O in Greek means O. 
That's okay, right. Okay, well, that's good to know. Okay, guys, what does mega mean? Large. <laughs> big, grand. Big. That's right. And so what does omega mean besides the end? The big O? The big O. The big O. You know what I mean? The big didn't, O. Didn't feel Ooh. that way to me at all. I've, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is... Uh, well, yeah, now we got omicron, right? What does O mean? We, it means O. So what does micron mean? Tiny. Exactly. So we get your big O, you got your small O. That's what those Greek letters are. That's the word roots. So under no circumstances are you allowed to say omicron, guys. It has to be a long O. The Greek pronunciation of O is O. Ah, so oh listeners, you are now no longer allowed to say omicron. It has to be Omicron, I mean, it would be technically correct to say Omicron, but that's just over the top. Well, I'm I'm feeling good about my lecture about bringing your energy up because you've got full Gordy channeling happening right now. It's I don't know where it came from, but it's full on right now. So Omicron is acceptable. Omicron is correct, but a little bit nerdy. Omicron, no, sir. Okay. And that, uh, that, that applies to you, CBC announcers and news people. <laughs> Omicron, please. I, I just love the transition we're going to make into the Transformer naming. Deltacron. Both of them together, right? Mm. Well, okay. So so since we're here having this conversation now that uh, I've defeated Omicron in hand-to-hand combat, <laughs> when do I get my booster? When's the optimum booster time? Now, RJ, you sent me a news article suggesting that some fool at the top of the health chain in Ontario thinks that 30 days is the optimal time after infection to get your booster because your natural defenses are just beginning to sag a little after 30 days. Is that what he said? Yeah, but there's others that suggest 90 days is optimal for that. Okay, and then somebody else in BC, they said, just get it right away. BC, I would find the least believable of all because they've proven yeah. that they will say whatever it takes to meet their goals, right? Yeah. And they, they, their hearts are in the right place. They just believe these silly citizens, they don't understand things. So what lie can we tell them to get them to behave in a way that'll make sure that they get their booster? And oh, by the way, we've got a bunch of empty appointments right now. So telling people to wait a month or three months is not going to help us fill those appointments. So just tell people to go get their boosters right away. Skinny, were you lined up for a booster? Yes, not today. I was not up for a booster today, but I did have an appointment January 3rd which I did cancel and I have not yet rescheduled because, of course, I needed to consult you guys about when was the optimum time to get a booster after infection. I don't just walk around not asking you guys how to run my life. I don't know what you guys do, but every move I make. Well, maybe if you're going to choose a time, maybe it's best not to go with that. Did you say 90 days or three months? I said 90 days was yeah. the other Maybe one. Maybe it's I best heard. not to go with that 90 days because of what Moby just said, the Deltacron or whatever new variants coming along. Maybe it's just better to get that booster in place. Yeah, because you sort of think with the Omicron numbers as they are now, if everybody does that, it just means there'll be a massive surge for boosters, either 30 or 90 days hence. So maybe I should get a 60 right in between sweet spot. Oh boy. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Just completely. How did you feel mentally? Like bad? Did you feel ashamed in any way? Or did is all this weighing around us, right? Well, um, I did not love reading positive on my little test. I had a little brief little flashing moment about 
well, geez, I sure hope I don't die. You know, like I hope I don't, I hope I'm not one of those people who are the tiny percentage of fully vaccinated that really struggle, you know. And then right after that, it was, oh my God, I hope the girls, oh my God, all I, just instant litany of the people that I've been in touch with for the last X days. So I was doing this test on January 1st. So I was thinking back over the prior four or five days, right? A couple of incubation days and a couple of active days. You just think, oh, geez, now what? And then as far as everything else, I sort of got over it. I got over the fact that I had infected other people because that occurred before. Like, did you hear me clear my throat just there? That's about what I was doing on the day. And to me, that just didn't strike me as anything remotely alarming or, or signaling, you know, incoming disaster infections. It was just clearing, you know, just kind of clear your throat. And I just yeah, kind of thought, I got tested as soon as I had any reasonable grounds to do so. And I've let everybody know immediately that I did know. And I've, so, oh. Yeah, wow. I mean, that's a, that's a really healthy way to look at it, actually. I, I think that I would feel bad psychologically just because, and it's unreasonable to feel bad because yeah. the truth is we're all going to get it. Yeah. All of us. And some of us have had it already and didn't even know it. Yep. But it's I, just because we've been hit with this barrage for two years of be careful, be safe. And yeah we're doing the best that we can, but it's just going to happen at some point. And so the best that you can do is what you did is think back to where might you have gotten the contact so you can notify someone if you, if you do figure it out. No, I never did. And of course, letting everybody know that, that you've contacted since. So yeah. what, what more can you do? You do feel, I mean, I did feel bad, pretty guilty. I didn't like sending the girls back to uh, Heather of Port Coquitlam's place because there's other people there. There's people whose work is going to be compromised if they come up. Like there's a bunch of ongoing complexity, but you do end up working on forgiving yourself because if it's not me, it's somebody else. It's so transmissible and so prevalent. You're going to get exposed sooner or later, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, What else have I got? Uh, Hip is killing me. So you're on the... uh you're on the uh, Tylenol arthritis. <laughs> Have you considered the uh, Oxycontin? <laughs> no. No, I haven't been offered that yet. But if I ever get to be 80 years old, I'll be actively seeking it. <laughs> I got some Oxycassettes that are left over from like 10 years ago. And every once in a while, I, I pop them. <laughs> oh, no, I use them. Like, like when I had my stent removed, from my perspective, I was taking a couple oxy cassettes beforehand, right? <laughs> He's got his two assistants in the room and there he goes, you know, you have to have been the most relaxed about that that I've ever seen. <laughs> I said, yeah, I popped a couple oxy cassettes beforehand and they all just started laughing their heads off. So I guess they're used to this, uh, like this oh, kind of oh. yelling out, but they, they thought that was quite funny, I guess. But, oh, God. Uh, yeah. All right. We got a pretty good list in uh, in here, I think. KJ, you got our music and its origins, and uh, what the note that you put there is uh, Wagner and Stravinsky didn't have computers. I was just thinking, how does somebody's mind work if if you don't have a computer? I'm just thinking that what what's going on in those guys' brains, Wagner and Beethoven and Bach. I mean, back then, you know, how much can how, how much is there, like, are they hearing it? I mean, I think some are, right? And some aren't. You know, some will write down a line and they'll go, oh, no, 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 this should go like that. But do they hear it? Do they only hear it when it's finally played, the orchestra plays it? Oh, yeah. 
that's where I was going with all that, I think. I would have thought that those guys pre, well, those guys would definitely, they got the term visualize, right? You to visualize something. Well, I guess it would be like audialize, like uh, they must be able to hear stuff in their minds. Yeah. They must be able to track a melody, like imagine a melody and hear it. Or at least, but they, they would have the ability to sit down at, at a keyboard of some sort back then, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so the, if the question is, is that a universal thing? I don't know, but there's endless examples of famous composers who are on record as saying they heard the song. They dreamt it. They heard it. Mm. Like Bach was deaf at the end when he wrote one of his big famous things. I can't remember which one. You would probably know. He was deaf. He couldn't hear it. He couldn't hear it played, but he could hear it in his head well enough to transcribe it into music, a complete orchestrated score. Like he had to have all in his head, right? I just saw a thing with Paul McCartney uh, being interviewed by Stephen Colbert and Colbert's asking about this, that, or the other. And in the course of this interview, McCartney said he dreamt the melody for yesterday. Yeah, he woke up with it in his mind. And yeah. he, he asked John Lennon about it, and he asked a whole bunch of guys. He asked his dad about it. He asked all these people that he thought. He asked George Martin about it. About What is this song, anyways? And after a couple of weeks, he just decided it was his. And that's where that song came from. Like it, I think whether it's universal or not, it's not uncommon for guys who are making a living as composers to hear that in their head before they ever hear it mm-hmm. out in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, and also Bach is all based in math to start, right? I also think that Bach, didn't he attach something to the piano or actually rest his head on the piano when he was tinkering so that he could feel the vibrations? I'm not, there was some sort of connection to the... Yeah, I think there was. But uh, you're right about the math part with him too. That's a, that's a good point. Same thing must be with sculptors. You know, there's always that thing about, oh, I could see the sculpture within the rock waiting to emerge. My job is just to explain. I mean, they right. talk like that. We make fun, but they must visualize pretty uh, completely what they want to have as their end product. I doubt they get well in and think, you know what? I'm going to have the hand turned the other way. <laughs> I kind of think they probably know before they even start what, what they're going for. Didn't Michelangelo but, say that David was in the marble? I don't know. He probably. Was, he was already in there. Probably when he was interviewed for the local newspaper. You know, <laughs> he probably said that. It's, it's been going on for centuries that they have these lines. I could just feel it. There's a condition that is out there where people, they're completely unable to visualize anything. And it's super weird because in the first place, it's really hard to talk about like what is visualizing. So I, I used to think maybe I have it cause I can't possibly see a picture that I just don't know if other people, when they say they're visualizing something where they're just having kind of a thought about, I don't understand visualizing, but maybe I do it. I don't really know. I think that's the case. I think we typically don't visualize as clearly as people that are gifted artists. If you are somebody who can take a pencil and copy a photograph really accurately just by shading in black and white, uh-huh. it's a real other trick to create as detailed a picture from your mind. You're not copying a vision that your eyes can see in a photograph. You're trying to do it out of your mind and it's really hard to do. You know what I mean? Because the the detail that you got to visualize in order to create that drawing just isn't there in your head. 
Okay, well, here's an exercise. Uh, choose one of your children, let's just say the oldest, and, and visualize them right now. Okay. Listeners, you can do that too. And when you see this, like, do you see the color of their face? Before I asked you if you saw the yeah, color of their yes, face? I did, yeah. KJ? Well, I just had a, a picture blown up for a present for Susan of Lucy in New York, and that, that's what went into my head as soon as you said that. Right away. That picture was in your head, eh? Yeah. Wow. Okay. But that's, well, just, I mean, that, that's just because that's current. Now, the other thing I was going to do, uh, Susan's got these two cats, and I painted one for her for maybe last Christmas or something, but I did that from a photograph, and I thought, well, could I do the other cat without having a photograph? And I don't think I could. I, I mean, I would, you could sort of get, get a, a frame of a cat and sort of maybe kind of remember the colors of the face, but compared to looking at a photograph and copying that just by looking and drawing, it, it, yeah. Not on impossible, I think. For me. Yeah, and yet that's what artists do, right? Yeah. They create just right out from their head onto the paper in a lot of cases. Well, in some cases, I, I would argue that almost all artists are working from a photo or or in the old days from, if they're doing a landscape, they're sitting there looking out at the landscape. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that some artists can just like look at something and it's like they have a photograph in their mind and they no longer need to look back at the source anymore. They can just draw it. I think a lot, there are artists that just imagine it. Yeah. There is no real subject for them to refer to at all. It's just in their mind, there is an image that they have imagined that they can then present on paper. Like somehow, I don't know how they do it. Well, from our wealth of artist listeners, I'd, I'd really like to hear you know, what technique, like, do you have an entire image in your mind and you can just draw it or as you go, are you going, how should I make this ear? I think maybe, you know, are you making decisions as you go? In other words, there was no original complete image in your mind. It's kind of interesting. It must be a whole variety of. Do you ever heard that thing where if you imagine that you're driving home and you imagine that there's going to be a parking space on <laughs> your street. And if you imagine that, and if you sort of get a clear picture of that, um, often you can, I, I don't know, they suggest that you actually can manipulate that and that, yeah, that parking space will be there for you. But that kind of visualization, you can do that, right? I can do that. I'm going, okay, I know how my street goes. I know the regular cars that are parked there. I know where their spaces might be. And I can visualize a lot of that. Yeah. On the way. So, uh, I mean, if we're we're talking about sort of your base visualization skills. Yes. And yes, because you're familiar with the whole setup, it's easy to substitute in pieces. Right. Now, when you visualize something, do you conceptually see it or there's actual, it's almost, it's actually like your eyes, actually like a sight that you see with your eyes. I'll go with that. Yep. I'll go see, yeah. the site. If I'm imagining a parking space, it's a site that I can see with my eyes. And that whole school of thought, which I take a fairly uh, <laughs> jaundiced view of, but still, you know, when you're trying to imagine that perfect parking space, uh, I think you do. You see the buildings in behind, you see the meters, you see people walking by and you just see that space and you're just going to come up the street and it's going to be right there and you're just going to pull into it. And so some of that's manufactured though, right? Yeah. Like, you just, yeah, like you, you, you don't know the location of every meter. No. Parking meter. So you kind of imagine one yes. there. 
Yeah. There's a generic meter and a generic space. It's not that particular one by that particular light standard yeah. for that particular store. But so still. I I know about the. There's one parking spot on the street right above our house here. Hmm. Um, it's right in front of a bunch of trees and shrubs and stuff. I know what the trees and shrubs are. I cannot picture it, but, but I can, I can see a branch at a time. For example, I just manufacture and it's not a real branch. I go, okay, there's probably a conifer. There's a branch Mm. and, uh, I kind of know where the curb is. So I might see a, uh, I don't see it, but I might think about a a curvature of a curb. So I, I basically, I think I'm pretty close to that end of the spectrum that just can't picture things at all. But some people simply can't, there's no such thing. They just don't understand what people mean when they say picturing stuff. I could picture what I'm looking at right now, but I can't picture something I'm not looking at very well anyway. It's just kind of a a Hmm. fleeting glimpse, but uh, don't feel bad for me. I I don't. I think when you can't picture things, then you get some other skills. Mm -hmm. That's right. You get other gifts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> RJ. Yeah. What, uh, on our list here, uh-huh. which, you know, I don't know, typically everything makes sense on this list, but I have here, I'm humbled and it's got RJ beside it. Yes. Yes. Those things don't go together for me. I don't understand what's <laughs> up with this list. Well, guys, guys and, and listeners, I got to tell you, I'm humbled. About what? You, I mean, you should be, but about what? I just don't know specifically what. I'm humbled that today is the first day that I've ever used the phrase, I'm humbled. <laughs> I want to know from you guys and our listeners about this term, because I don't want to insult people that use this phrase but I'm probably going to go ahead and do it anyway. So I was going to say, that's not that I'll, evident. I'll tell so. you, I'll tell you what I think when I hear it, when I hear it and it sounds like, like someone says, I ran a race. I was sure I was going to win. I came in last and that truly humbled me. I think that's great. I think that totally makes sense. But when someone says I was given this award top in whatever field or endeavor, I'm truly humbled by this. Can you explain to me what they mean? I would try and say that what they're saying is they cannot believe their good fortune. They cannot believe the esteem they're held in in spite of their many acknowledged flaws. They, they're so grateful and they know they're uh, not really worthy. So they are humbled by the acclaim with which they're being held you know, in spite of all the flaws they know they have. So it's a little, it's kind of like imposter syndrome in a sense. Like I think so. Yeah. It, I don't know. This, <laughs> this prize, this prize reminds me that I'm really not worthy. It, it kind of means I'm a not, I'm not worthy of what, what you're giving I think, me. I think that's what it means. I, I don't yes, know. Yes. But that, I don't know that that's how they're using it though. When they, they're not, <laughs> They're not doing the impossible. Well, what do you think, Ben? No, I think exactly what you say. You said, Skin, that, that that's, that's oh. and it's natural to think that, but I don't think they're trying to say, oh, actually, you people are wrong for <laughs> no. giving me this no. award. But uh, yeah, no, I'm grateful. Thank you. And it, yeah. It, yeah. Huh. Well, it's a verb and a noun, right? You can be humble and you can be humbled. 
So you can think you're really great and find out that you're not by finishing last and be humbled. Or you can have just an absolute suite of tremendous accomplishments, but still be very self-effacing and uh, just an ordinary guy. You know, uh, you can be humble. Well, I got to say, I got to say, I came into this conversation thinking I pretty well understood what was going on with this phrase, but I'm humbled <laughs> by you guys' by knowledge, your ignorance. by, by <laughs> my ignorance and in your knowledge of what's really going on with the phrase. And maybe I'll be a little bit more uh, uh, charitable when people use that. Well, that there's, what, oh, what? because if you've been having a reaction, have you? You yeah, I don't judge you when people use that I, I am, yeah, absolutely. I, oh, there's something yeah, specific it, that set this off? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Over the years, I mean, there was one, there was a big pro- program manager at a big project at ICBC, and she was just loathed by everyone. And, you know, any kind of success of the project had nothing to do with her. Um, and then when the project went in, she said she was humbled. And I just remember just thinking, oh, my God, you, <laughs> you're humbled, are you? Anyway. So really what we're talking about here, KJ, is the onset of latter stage curmudgeonliness. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's really what's And happening. he's been hanging on to this for years. Yeah. He's been nursing this I'm grievance. Still. We could just look forward to way more of this kind of thing. Eh? You guys ever think about beavers? Jeez, they teeth. They're big teeth. They're stupid flappy tails. God. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> just wanted to have a little what bit that of fun. Was about. Yeah. Uh, what do we got here, boys? What do we got? Well, I got one. Uh, our uh, free Amazon Prime runs out tomorrow. So uh, last night I was looking around for something to watch. I decided to go ahead and watch Being the Ricardos. Oh, well, yeah. Ah. And I did that because, like, I had heard something a little bit negative about Nicole Kidman's performance. But yep. then I noticed that she was nominated for a Golden Globe. Uh, later found out that she won a Golden Globe, I believe, for this. Anyway, so I watched it and it was fantastic. Really enjoyed it. She doesn't come off as the Lucille Ball we know by watching the TV shows. They didn't even bother putting her hair totally up and rigid like Mm. Lucille Ball's hair was. They had it in Nicole Kidman's normal cut except for really wavy she did some of her terms of phrases and stuff whenever she was pretending to be Lucy on TV. Oh, it was really sounding a lot like Lucy all of a sudden. So I think they did a, I mean, you got to believe that Lucille Ball in real life being herself was not, ah, Ricky. She was sharp. She was very sharp. She was sharp. She ran the studio. She bought it when they divorced in 1960. She bought Desilu and went on to do Mission Impossible and the, uh, of course, Star Trek was one of their. She was no fool. That, yeah. that woman, yeah. not at all. So anyway, the fantastic drama, uh, really uh, drama, and of course parts of it are funny anyway, but uh, really well played. So if you uh, if you do have Amazon Prime, uh, highly recommend it. Did uh, did any of you callous sophisticates watch Don't Look Up? Yes. And what's the uh, opinions crew? Big thumbs up from KJ. Two big thumbs up. Oof, I'll give robust. it two thumbs up. Two Way big up. big thumbs up. You watch it, Skinny? So, yes, I did, oh. actually. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, so nobody found it a little heavy-handed at all? Well, no, it's a comedy. 
Yeah, but it was kind of, you know, okay, like, I get the message. Could we not be bludgeoned with it just for the whole entire 90 minutes? But Well, what what is the message if you get it? I mean, I think it's a complex message, really. I think the message is basically we, Earth, are seeing a giant oncoming comet in the form of climate change, and we're just doing jack about it, and we will pay the price if we don't, if we continue to allow our leadership to behave in short-sighted, not to say idiotic ways, then we're just going to pay the price. That's, okay, that's, that's what I thought the message was. That's one message. And another message is, and it's, it's related, I understand, but the media, how it's all about entertainment and clicks and views. Yeah, and yeah that's what I mean by I idiotic just ways. Loved, I just love the two news people. Yeah. <laughs> just fantastic, especially the guy. Like he's just everything. Oh, yeah, so we're about to die from a comet, so... Yeah. He's just got something yeah. funny to say about it all the time. And oh, they're just like, yeah. Those guys. Yes. They, that guy was really, he did an excellent job. He really Whoever did. that guy was, he did a real good job. Uh, I know. I found myself thinking, is he really a news guy? Because I <laughs> yeah. swear I've seen him before. You know, like. One of those morning entertainment guys. Just, oh my goodness. He was, it was kind of hard to watch just because his, in particular, like Jonah Hill was really entertaining, but you just you know that was sort of an over the top. Yeah, and the same with uh, same with our president and all that. But so Jonah Hill, he's Donald J. Trump Jr., right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I really love the guy who's playing, you know, the techno whiz guy who's super powerful and super influential. Oh, he's, he's right. always he was great because because you can't point at him and go, oh, I know who he's playing. Yeah. Like he's just created his own eccentric character. <laughs> yeah. His own eccentric genius guy. Yeah. And he was quite good. I, I, so, I mean, there was a lot. I was entertained, but I just thought. All the way through. It was a little oppressive. Like, because oh. I guess part of it is it's so true. It's really exaggerated, but it's so true. We just, for us three, for most of our adult life, the science has been pretty clear. And uh, it just. So it hasn't changed the trajectory one bit, yeah, I don't think. All the way through, I barely ever thought about climate change. So oh. maybe that's what allowed me to enjoy it. I wasn't really hit over the head by that. I just oh. thought, I thought more about uh, what the press does and what, you know, they're yeah. not interested in whether something truly is dangerous. So anyway, yeah, yeah but I think, I think you're right. I mean, that that's probably what you're supposed to be hit over the head with, but I... I was just totally enjoying that movie from beginning to end, especially because you can't point at one movie that it's like, like I, maybe you can, but I can't. It was quite unique in its whole tone and setting and the way people acted. And I thought it was very, uh, well, innovative. Yeah, actually, I don't think I can think of one. Somebody probably can, but I can't. Did you guys read any, the, the uh, criticisms of the play? I mean, uh, because I hear there was uh, like a ton a ton, a ton, and I don't, I haven't looked at it, so I don't know. What I read was that people were saying the reason that it got, it got mixed reviews. Some people thought it was, reviewers thought it was brilliant, but generally speaking, it's an indictment of the media, so the media doesn't like it. It says, oh, oh that, that was the take, you know, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but man, maybe that was just, uh, anyway, that was the take that I read. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't. 
see what the general coverage was really like. And that's what got me to watch it. The moment that I read that, I thought, oh, okay, I definitely want yeah. to see this. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I, I I, was actually surprised when I was finished. I thought, well, what what can they complain about with this movie? I, I, yeah. I bet DiCaprio gets a, certainly a nod for an Oscar. Yeah. What happened last? He, he was nominated for the Golden Globes, and there's only five nominations. I watched the Rick Beato uh nominations for emmys there's actually 10 songs nominated this year this time and it's it's pretty fun to watch that one where he goes through them and says this is what's good or bad about each of the tracks and his his basic take is that there's not even there's not 10 songs that are worthy of being nominated in in the pop pantheon so there's a whole bunch of wow wow geez i i had to look at uh, the harry nielsen documentary i I got about halfway through it last night is it good fantastic like you sort of don't realize just how much he put out we have the familiar ones that we know but all the you know the bread songs and the the cheesy pop songs and and that he uh didn't have any interest in performing in doing concerts right he i don't think i knew that yeah he just said i'm not sure that that's what i want to be doing at eight o'clock at night on a particular (laughs) night so he just never did and he could have oh man man he was so big he was amazing. And he lost his voice, didn't he? Like he lost the quality, like the number of octaves, like he used to have an extremely broad range. Oh God. Yeah. And I think when him and Lennon were partying around and stuff, like he, he peaked around then. Uh, and, so yeah, I didn't, and, I actually didn't finish it. Uh, uh, it's still sitting, waiting for me to look at, but, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And he was, uh, an extreme partier. Yes, for sure. So is it called, I see one that was made in 2006. Is this a new documentary? No, 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 no. Oh, so it's the old one. Yeah. Oh, that's probably it. And it looks like it's on YouTube. Is that right? Who is Harry Nielsen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everybody's talking at you, right? I'm going to pop that into my list right now. YouTube is really good at allowing you to save to watch later and really bad at allowing you to find where your watch later list is. (laughs) It's just like moving the products around inside the grocery store, Rich. Same thing. <laughs> it makes me feel good about clicking it. Yeah. And then you go and look and stuff. And the next thing you know, you're watching <laughs> something about World War II aircraft or something. You know? <laughs> That's my latest YouTube rabbit hole is just World War II aircraft. All these improbable airplanes that were built and actually flew and then never seen ever again. They just... A lot of guys tried a lot of stuff. That's very similar to the Howard Hughes story with his aircraft. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And and a lot of guys were doing it. Like the Russians built this gigantic, really huge uh, seaplane. The Italians built one gigantic triplane, 100 passenger seaplane. They're all seaplanes. So if you wanted to carry a hundred passengers, you needed a big plane and nobody had airfields that were that big. So they made them all seaplanes. I don't know why I'm watching it, but. Well, if you're ever down in uh, Portland and have some time, check out the Spruce Goose. I'd like to see that thing actually. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. You get to go inside and look how cavernous it is. And it's... I would like to see all that because I've read all the stuff on that thing. And it actually, the fact that it actually flew just kind of floors me too. Yeah. One time. Like. Yeah, and, and how, it's the same with a lot of them, right? The Italian one flew once, the Russian one flew once, and then they, they just find out this is crazy. It's never going to work. 
Yeah, like just because it flew like three quarters of a kilometer or something like that and made it up to 100 or 200 feet in the air, you know, doesn't mean that it's feasible. Yeah, and that's what took all the fire. Kind of makes me wonder. I daydream every now and then as I watch these things about the state of uh, physics and engineering at the time. Like, it's kind of like when the Brooklyn Bridge was built, they really didn't engineer it, right? They they just thought, well, this is going to be a big bridge. It's going to need really hugely, gigantically strong stone piers to hold up these cables. So let's just make them super, mega, crazily, gigantically. They're just wildly overbuilt. Yep. Right? Just not even remotely close to as minimal as it needed to be. Yeah, the fo- just guessed. The foundations at either end are yeah. just massive, super deep concrete and you know the as they're building it they're going is that done no not good enough just keep pouring more (laughs) just bigger and bigger just making it up right they just just trying it on the designers didn't know the calculus and it literally was calculus now the the modern bridge building but they just yeah it's pretty interesting stuff and it's the same with these planes i think they you know like oh well i think we just need to have six engines instead of four yep well That'll make the wings 200 feet long. Well, better make it eight engines then. You know, like just, I don't know, try that. Try a bigger tail. The guys that were test pilots for those things must have, I don't know what their brains were made of. Crazy, yeah. Because you just kind of think, like the Italian one, it flew. I think the second time they tried to fly it, they found out that they were flying it and it was a little bit nose light. So the nose would come up really sharply inexplicably just i don't know too much lift i don't know what but and the second time they flew it the nose came up and then it went down in the lake and broke in half and that was the end of it and some guy was flying it right there's other ones where everybody dies because the whole thing just breaks apart in (laughs) midair you know you just kind of think they're just trying it out and and they come back and they just yeah seems to fly okay and then they build it and then if they find out there's something else wrong they just change it and just like wow holy dino Modeling was not a discovered art, I guess. Thanks for listening, you guys. That's the end of another excellent session in Shed, in the virtual Shed. We're really glad you were here with us. Always fun to have a little visit, talk about whatever's coming along, going on. I hope that as you listen to this, you feel inspired to share with us your opinions because we're all about sharing. As you can tell, one of us in this room, who might even be speaking right now, tends towards oversharing, but let's not dwell too much on that. Let's just move on with wishing you all well, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye now.